One of the things I love most of, about a road trip are the rest stops. Pulling into a truck stop in the middle of the night on I-80 somewhere, rubbing shoulders with the road warriors, swaggering up to the gas tanks like you're <laughs> on the road. Something cool about that. Swinging the family truckster into a scenic overview, looking out over some wide river or valley. Look, kids, isn't America beautiful? <laughs> yeah, but there's nowhere to eat, Dad. <laughs> Coasting into that familiar service plaza, the one you always stop at on your way to camp or grandma's or the summer house, where everybody knows where to go and what they want and what they need. Rest stops promise refreshment. Something to eat, a bathroom break, chance to stretch your legs, walk the dog, change the diaper, change drivers. Back in the day before GPS and uh, Google Maps, when you stepped into those highway rest stops, there'd be a big map up on the wall saying, you are here. You could measure your progress and see how much far you, farther you had to go to your destination. And if you'd all been getting on each other's nerves after two or ten hours in the car together, little fresh air, a little exercise, a little snack, and you're ready to climb back in again for another round of 20 questions as you made your way to wherever you were going. When you're on a road trip, rest stops aren't optional. You need gas in the tank. You need food in your stomach. You need caffeine in your system. You need to stop and regroup once in a while and get ready for the next leg of the journey. And so it's really no surprise that as Jesus made his way the 60 or 70 miles from Galilee down to Jerusalem, that he stopped from time to time along the way to rest, and more specifically, to pray. During the season of Lent, we are going on the road with Jesus as he and the disciples make their way from Galilee up north down to Jerusalem where the cross awaits him. And on the way, Jesus does some teaching, he tells some stories, he meets some people, he solves some problems. And as we travel along with him, as happens on road trips, we get to know him a little better, and we get to know ourselves a little better. And hopefully we begin to make some progress on our own journeys of faith. So today we come to the subject of prayer. Now my guess is there's not a, not a person out there who hasn't prayed, who doesn't pray in one form or another. Prayer is kind of a universal human instinct. But we all have questions about prayer. And chances are many of us wish we were a little bit better at prayer. So it turns out that prayer is as important to the journey of life as rest stops are on a road trip. So let's catch up with Jesus at one of these rest stops along the way. We're working out of the Gospel of Luke for this series, and a particular section of Luke that's known as the travel narrative. It begins in chapter 9 as Jesus resolutely sets his face to Jerusalem, and it ends in chapter 19 when he rides in on Palm Sunday. So today we're in chapter 11, and uh, let's, let's begin with the first few verses. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Well, the first thing we want to notice here is that Jesus takes time to pray. Remember now, this is an important journey. He's got to get to Jerusalem where everything's going to happen. 
He's got a lot of miles to cover. He's got important lessons to teach his disciples along the way. There are people that he's got to meet and deal with on the way. And yet he stops periodically, regularly, and takes time to pray. Very intentionally. You can almost picture the disciples. They're up early, packed up, ready to get on the road. They're jingling the car keys, trying to get his attention and say, where are you, Jesus? But he's off praying. Now, they should be used to it by now. He's been doing this for as long as they've known him. Early in the morning sometimes, late at night other times, sometimes in the middle of the night, slipping away from them and from the crowds and finding time to pray. He not only finds time to pray, he finds places to pray. Notice the text says he was praying in a certain place. It sounds like there was a particular kind of place that he was praying Maybe it was the kind of place he always prayed, up in the hills, maybe with a view of a town below. Or maybe it was a place he's prayed before when they passed through this way. Or maybe it's a place with some historic or spiritual significance to the people of Israel. It seems as though Jesus very intentionally chose times and places to pray. Now, do we do that? Do you have times that you pray? Maybe for you, it's first thing in the morning, before the day gets started. Or maybe it's at the end of the day as you kind of collect all that's happened. Maybe you have time over your lunch hour to pray. Maybe you pray on your commute or on the treadmill. Maybe you pray when the kid goes down for a nap. Do you have times in your day, times in your week, that you intentionally set aside to pray? And do you have places that you pray, places that help you pray? I've got a handful of places like that in my life. Most mornings I find my way down to the couch in our living room where I can watch the sunrise out the front window as I get the day started with the Lord. Sometimes on my day off I like to go out to a great brook farm in Carlisle to, to run or ski or bike depending what the season happens to be. But there's a certain place there. There's an open field alongside the water where for years now I've been having conversations with God. There are a couple retreat centers around New England I like to sneak away to once in a while. And I find in those places I can sometimes pray for hours. And every once in a while in the midst of a crazy week, I'll slip here into the empty sanctuary and just sit quietly and listen for the Lord for a few minutes. Do you have places like that that just help you pray? Times that you're ready to pray. In the same way that we have familiar rest stops on our road trips, places we are wait for, we know they're coming, we settle in and we, we get refreshed there, we need times and places like that for prayer. As it turns out, the disciples weren't just waiting while Jesus prayed, they were watching him. In fact, it seems as though they were listening to him. And there was something about the way Jesus prayed that caught their attention. It was different from the way other people prayed, different from the way that other rabbis prayed. And it was so distinctive that when he was finished, instead of saying, Lord, let's get going, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, it's worth noting, this is the only time in the Gospels the disciples ask Jesus to teach them anything, the only time. And it's worth noting, they don't ask him, Lord, teach us to preach, teach us to attract a crowd, Teach us to heal. Teach us to lead. They pray, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they realize by now that everything else Jesus does flows from his life of prayer. And it's not like the disciples have never prayed before. They're faithful, devout Jews. 
The Jews had all kinds of prayers they prayed on a regular basis. The 18 benedictions, every faithful Jew prayed it three times a day. No doubt the disciples did as well. They were familiar with the particular way of praying that John the baptizer taught his disciples. But still, there was something about the way Jesus prayed that was distinctive, that made them say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, on the one hand, prayer is very simple. As we said, it's kind of instinctive. Every human civilization has some form of prayer. It's simple. But apparently, prayer can be learned as well. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to be offering a workshop here on prayer. Uh, April 2nd, Saturday morning, Pastor Jim, a few others will be teaching on, on devotional prayer and intercessory prayers. Here in Lexington, but all the campuses are certainly welcome to come. You can learn to pray. But it turns out that you learn to pray the way you learn to ride a bike. A few simple instructions. Keep your head up, eyes ahead, keep moving. But then you just got to get on the thing and start pedaling. And that's how you learn to pray as well. So Jesus gives his disciples a few basic words of instruction. About 40 words is all in the Lord's Prayer. And then he gives them a shove. And us too. So let, let's walk through this prayer and see what we can learn a little bit. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now you may have noticed uh, already that Luke's version is a little bit different than Matthew's version. Matthew adds the phrase, Thy, um, in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And uh, Matthew adds that, Luke leaves it, out, leaves it out. Now it could be Jesus taught this prayer on a couple different occasions, or it could be that Luke just chooses to condense it for this particular time. The important thing to notice is that it's, it's not, Jesus is not offering a rote prayer that has to be precisely recited every time we pray it. That's not how this prayer is meant to be used, even though we sometimes use it that way. This is a template for prayer. It's a pattern for prayer. And so as we walk through, we're going to see this pattern has several movements to it. And the first movement we're going to call praise. Father, hallowed be your name. Prayer begins with God, not with us. Before we get to all the stuff on our minds and hearts, we remember who we're talking to. You know who you're talking to? We remind ourselves. We're talking to a father, a perfect father, who's wise and strong and loving and good. Everything a father should be. We're talking to someone who has a name, who's a person, not a force. We're talking to someone whose name is hallowed, is holy, is set apart and different from everyone else. You know, every day our news feed introduces us to all kinds of important and influential people in our world politicians and celebrities and athletes and CEOs. And many of them are, are talented and admirable and even worthy of our respect. But none of them are worthy of our worship. None of them are in a class with the God of the universe. And so we remind ourselves of that as we begin our prayer. And we have people in our lives who love us and who are very much a part of our lives. Our families, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they're all important to us. But none of them love us like God loves us. None of them are as essential to our being as God is. And so we begin our prayers with praise. Maybe we make a list in our mind of all the attributes of God 
He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's, he's omni-everything. <laughs> we just we make a list of all those things. Or maybe we choose one of them to focus on for a little while, his mercy or his truth or his grace or his love. Maybe we're not so good with words, so we sing some songs, praise songs, hymns that put us in a spirit of praise and make God great. We find ways of, of putting God first in our prayers. We begin with him. The second movement is submission. Your kingdom come. Now, Matthew adds, your will be done. Prayer is not about getting God to do what we want. Prayer is about finding out what God wants and aligning our will with his. As we're going to find out, it's perfectly fine to bring all our requests to God all our needs and concerns for ourselves and the people we love and for the world, we can bring them all. But in the end, what we want for them is what God wants for them. His good and eternal purpose for our lives, for the people we love, and for our nation and for our world. We want what God wants. And so we begin with submission. This is how Jesus prayed in the garden. He, first, he tells his father what he wants. Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. But he finishes with submission but not my will, thine be done. And that's why this, this movement of submission comes second in the prayer. It's a lot, whole lot easier to submit to God's will when you've reminded yourself that he's a strong, wise, loving, good father. This movement also reminds us that ultimately God is in charge and that his good purposes will be accomplished. So as the news feed brings us stories of, of disaster and terror and shootings and hardship and heartache and persecution, as troubled as we are about those things, we bring them to God in prayer confident that one day he will make the world right. One day things will be as they were meant to be and his kingdom will come and his will shall be done. They give us hope. And so we have praise and submission. The third movement is request. Give us each day our daily bread. Now this is our declaration of dependence on God. Notice that in Luke's version, it comes right in the middle. He's got five stanzas, and this is the third one. And in Hebrew, Hebrew poetry is all about structure. And so Luke puts this one right at the center to say this is the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer is bringing everything on our minds and our hearts, bringing them to God. Now, he, he talks about bread because that's the most basic of all needs, but it represents all of our needs, food and drink, clothing and shelter, work and rest, love and laughter. Everything we need, we bring to him in prayer. And, and we bring them daily. It's a really interesting word that Jesus uses here. It's one of the few places in the Bible it's used. It's one of the few places in all of ancient literature it's used. And so scholars have puzzled for a long time, what does this word daily actually mean? They weren't sure how to translate it. Not too long ago, archaeologists discovered a, a little scrap of papyri, and on it were listed is a list of items, food items, household items. You know what it was? It was a shopping list, the kind you take to Market Basket with you. <laughs> Someone dropped their ancient shopping list somewhere, and it was found. And next to some of the items on that list was this word, daily. It seems to mean enough for the day. Enough for the day. 
Because remember, in the ancient world, people really lived one day at a time. There were no credit cards where you could shop now and pay later. There were no freezers where you could store a week's worth of food and not have to worry about it. There was no Costco where you could buy a barrel of Cheerios and a skid of toilet paper. <laughs> you shopped a day at a time. You worked and got paid a day at a time. You lived a day at a time. And so Jesus teaches us to pray a day at a time. Enough for the day so that each day, every moment, we are looking to him. That's worth pointing out as well. He didn't say, give us this day our daily filet. <laughs> it's bread. So we bring God all of our requests. We tell him what we want. We don't always get that exactly. We don't always get the job or, or the girl or the soulmate or the, uh, the sunny day for our picnic. But we get, we get what, what we need for that day, for that season of life. Next comes confession. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, this is where we face our sins and our failures. All the things we've done against God and against each other and sometimes against ourselves. Sometimes we actually name them out loud one by one. The things we've done are the things we've failed to do. We admit that we're fallen people. That sometimes we make a mess of things. And when we do, we feel horrible. And we hate that we keep doing it. And we're troubled by the harm it brings to other people. And we don't like to admit it. But you know what? God knows anyway. He knows already. He knows what we've done and what we failed to do. And you know what else? He loves you still. He loves us anyway. He's already paid for those failures. He wants to just forgive us and start fresh again. That's what he wants to do. And so he invites us just to tell him to, to just come clean. As I was working on this message, at one point my, my thoughts drifted in an ungodly, unhelpful kind of direction. I found myself thinking a whole lot more about what you would think of me rather than what you would think of Jesus. And I didn't like what that revealed about me. And I was, I was embarrassed about it, and I was really ashamed of it. I tried to just ignore it and press on with my work, just keep writing. And I did. But it wasn't going all that well. The thoughts and words weren't flowing very freely, and truly sensed something was getting in the way of the Spirit's work in my heart, and I knew exactly what it was. And so I had to pull off the road, as it were, and stop and just name it. Just admit it. Pride, ego, self-centeredness. I hate it when I do that, Lord. But you know, on the other side of naming it, there's forgiveness. There's assurance of love. There's grace and mercy and a fresh start. And you can get back to work again and go forward. Confession's a humbling thing to do. It's a rest stop we don't always want to make. But, but once we do, there's a fresh stop on the other side, fresh start. And, and once we've done that, once we've faced our own sins and failures, once we've received the unmerited favor and forgiveness of God, 
It's a whole lot easier to forgive, forgive other people, the ones who failed us and disappointed us. If God's let, off, let us off the hook, we can let them off the hook as well. And we can all move forward together. Confession. The fifth movement of the prayer is what I'll call direction. And lead us not into temptation. This is what we pray as we get up from our knees or rise from the couch or get out of the pew and head out into the world. This is what we pray as we pull out of the rest stop and back onto the highway of life again. Lead me, Lord. Lead me not to the places I tend to go, but lead me to the places you want me to go. Now, sometimes it seems odd that we have to ask God not to lead us into temptation. I once saw a T-shirt that said, lead me not into temptation. I can find it myself. <laughs> so we really don't have to ask the Lord not to do that. This is a reminder to us to ask the Lord to lead us in good and better ways. Lead me, Lord, as I walk the halls of my school today. Lead me away from those people and influences and activities that are not going to be good for me or other people. And open my eyes to the kids who need my love and grace today. Lead me, Lord, as I surf the web today. Keep me away from trashy places. And direct me towards places that are full of truth and goodness and, and uh, helpfulness. Lead me, Lord, as I make my way down my to-do list, all the tasks and people. Show me the ones that are truly important to you today. I often like to finish my morning prayer by just walking through the events of the day right on till bedtime, just offering them all up to the Lord. Lead me, Lord. And so Jesus offers his disciples and us this pattern for prayer, these five movements, praise, submission, request, confession, and direction. Now, we don't always have to pray all five, and we don't always have to pray them in this particular order. In fact, there, there are other patterns of prayer we can use. Some of us are familiar with a, the ACTS form of prayer, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That can work. The spiritual disciplines bring us forms of prayer like the daily examine we pray at the end of the day. Any of these can be helpful. I encourage you to try many of them. We don't have to use this particular form all the time. And we don't have to use these particular words all the time. In fact, I think most of the time, the Lord would prefer that we use our own words when we pray. Because if we're learning anything about prayer here so far, it's that prayer is personal. It's personal. I think that's what the disciples noticed about Jesus' prayer. I think that's what caused them to say, Lord, teach us to pray like that. They'd never heard someone pray this way. It was so intimate. It was so honest. It was so vulnerable. So they wanted to pray that way. And so on the road with Jesus, we learned to pray personally. When we pray, we're not reciting formulas to a distant deity hoping he might hear us. No, we are talking to a heavenly father who wants to be a part of our lives on a daily basis. We were visiting with some of our kids and grandkids over the holiday week. Yes, the ones in Florida. <laughs> At the end of the week, the morning we were leaving and going to head out to the airport, we're having a quick breakfast together and... Uh, our five-year-old granddaughter, Lainey, is just beginning to kind of awaken to her faith and her relationship with God. So as we bowed to pray over breakfast, she offered to pray. 
But this time, instead of praying her usual God is great, God is good prayer, which is fine, she prayed for the first time in her own words. And she thanked God for the nice visit we'd all had. And she prayed for all the people sitting around the table and, and the rest of the family that wasn't there. And she prayed that Mimi and Pop-Pop would have a safe trip home. And she gave thanks for the food. She was just talking to God about the things she was thinking and feeling that day that were on her mind, that were on her heart, and she just talked to God about them. That's prayer. It's so simple. A five-year-old can do it. But it's so essential that even Jesus had to do it. And so he teaches us to pray as we go, and in particular, to pray personally, to stop and intentional places along the way with regularity, and refresh and regroup and refuel ourselves for the next leg of the journey. But you know, sometimes as you're making your way down this road of life, the road stops don't always come at just the right spot. Sometimes something happens and you just need to get off the road in a hurry. There's a problem with the car or the weather's bad or someone's sick and, and you just you got to get off the road as quickly as you can. When's the next exit? Where's the next rest stop? And so some prayers just come on us unexpectedly and with some energy and urgency. And Jesus talks about them in this next little section. Verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And we don't have time to explore all the details here, but we all know enough about the ancient world to know that hospitality was a highly prized value. And so when this host has a friend show up and he's got no, nothing to offer him, he does the only thing he knows how to do in a panic. He runs out the back door across the street and bangs on his neighbor's door at midnight. And we know enough about the ancient world to know that they generally all slept in the same room and typically in the same bed. And we all know enough about parenting to know that you never wake a sleeping baby. So we don't blame this guy for not wanting to get out of bed. Go away. But look what happens. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will certainly give you as much as you need. Now, sometimes people stumble over this little parable because it sounds, seems to suggest that, that God is like a reluctant neighbor who doesn't like to be bothered, especially in the middle of the night. But this is not about the neighbor. It's about the host. It's about the urgency. It's about the intensity with which he goes to his neighbor, pounding on the door and refusing to take no for an answer. Apparently, God likes shameless audacity. He wants our prayers to be bold, he wants them to be outrageous. He wants us to be insistent. He wants us to be passionate. And so on the road with Jesus, we learn to pray not just personally, but passionately. Now, Jesus certainly has done this. Jesus weeps when he prays over Jerusalem. He shouts when he calls on God's power against the forces of nature or darkness or death. He sweats drops of blood when he prays in the garden. And on one occasion, at least, Jesus laughed out loud when he prayed. If you don't believe me, go to Luke 10, 21 when you get home. Luke 10, 21. 
urgency, passion. Now, some Christians from other traditions and other cultures, frankly, are better at this than white bread, high church evangelicals, <laughs> New Englanders, no less. If you've ever been to a Korean prayer meeting or to a Pentecostal praise night or to a black Baptist church on a Sunday morning, you'll understand something about passionate prayer. But this isn't just for certain cultures and traditions. This is for everybody. He wants us all to pray with passion and intensity. Do you ever do that? Do you ever weep over your children or your grandchildren when you pray for them? Do you ever, ever shout with words of praise and thanks and gratitude for what God's done? Do you ever pump your fist and say, come on, Lord, let's do this? And do you ever laugh out loud at the goodness of God? Try it sometime. Your neighbors will think you're crazy, but God loves it. Okay? So Jesus teaches us to pray personally and passionately. You've probably figured there's a third thing coming and that it begins with a P. So I'll just give it to you, okay? <laughs> Persistently. Persistently. Prayer isn't something we only do at set times and when we suddenly feel the need or the urge. It's something we do all the time. And that's the nice thing about prayer is that you don't need to pull off the side of the road to do it. <laughs> Keep your eyes open, but you can pray as you go. Every moment, every day, all along the way. And so Jesus says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It might better be translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. I had a report this past week that the average American checks their smartphone, are you ready for this? 250 times a day. 250. I said, that's impossible, it can't be. I began calculating a little bit and I said, well, yeah, that probably is true. <laughs> 250 times a day. And do you know why we do that? Because we're dependent on our smartphone. We depend on it for information. We depend on it for guidance. We depend on it for connection. And so we go to it 250 times a day. What if we prayed like that? What if, what if 250 times a day, what if 10, 12, 15 times an hour, we turn to God for information, for guidance, for connection? Maybe that's what the Bible means when it says pray without ceasing. Always, everywhere, every day, all the time. Jesus teaches us to pray every step of the way, every mile of the road, every day of the week. Every, every meal, every meeting, every decision, every conversation, every relationship, every temptation, every challenge, every joy, fear, victory, success, all of them, he wants us to pray over them. Even if it's the same prayer, you've prayed hundreds and even thousands of times, the same petition, the same thanksgiving, the same confession, he wants to hear it again. But we're likely to say, why? Why do I have to keep asking and seeking and knocking? Does God need to be reminded, you know, with so many people to keep track of? Does he just need to hear his name and have us put in our place? Why do we have to keep praying? Well, he tells us in the final verses. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... 
how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As I said, we were visiting with our, our kids last week. And we had a great week together, lots of laughter and talk and conversation and connection. Uh, the morning we were leaving as we were kind of getting our, everything to go and ready to the airport, the whole gang was there. And I kind of looked at them and I said, hey, one more thing. Could you guys call us more? <laughs> now, you know, once a week or so, we Skype with them and keep track that way. We exchange texts, jokes, and pictures throughout the week a little bit. But, but the truth is we just want to talk to them more. We want to talk to them in the middle of the day. We want to talk to them when nothing's going on and when something's going on. And we want that because we love them and because we care of what's happening. We want to pray for them and help them if we can. We want to be part of their lives and then to be part of our lives. And we can't do that unless we talk to each other on a regular basis at all kinds of times and ways. And it's no different with our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He wants to be part of our lives. He wants to help and be active and, and make the journey with us. But he can only do that if we talk to him, if we invite him into those places of our lives. And that allows his Holy Spirit to be present with us everywhere, every time, with everyone. And so Jesus teaches us to pray as we go. And remember, he's going to Jerusalem where there's conflict and controversy waiting for him. People are waiting to kill him there. He's going to be rejected and betrayed and denied and abandoned. He's going to face pain and suffering and heartache. He's going to take on the powers of darkness in Jerusalem. So this, this is really not a prayer for the sanctuary, even though we use it here sometimes. This is a prayer for the road. This is a prayer for the mean streets of life. This is not a prayer for Sunday morning, necessarily. This is a prayer for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and every morning, and noon, and evening, and midnight when we need to talk to God. Because there is no stretch of road where we do not need Him. There is no day of the week we are not dependent upon Him. There is no aspect of our lives He is not interested in. And so Jesus teaches us to pray personally, passionately, persistently, Remembering that he is a loving Heavenly Father who loves to give good gifts to his children, especially the gift of himself. And so as we finish today, I want us to pray. But I've invited one of our elders to come and lead us in prayer. Bobby Bowes has been an elder with us for a few years now, and Bobby's become our go-to guy for prayer in our elders' meetings. When we're stuck with a tough decision and don't know which way to go, or we come to the end of a long night and we want to be sent off with some encouragement, we say, Bobby, <laughs> pray us off. So I'm going to ask Bobby to uh, come and, and pray us off, and we'll conclude, he will conclude by leading us in praying the Lord's Prayer together. Bobby. Let's talk to God, our Heavenly Father. Almighty God, our dear Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth, we are so thankful to you, Lord, for all the gracious provisions of our lives you surround us with. Food, clothing, shelter, family and friends and relationships. But Father, most of all, we are thankful to you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because without him, we would not have this access to come to your holy presence, unholy and unworthy as we are. 
without his life, his death, his resurrection, his precious blood, we would have no option to approach the holy God, but only look forward to your wrath. But thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for name above all names. Through him we have power. We have access any moment of our day. Any situation we face. But Heavenly Father we pray that. You will bless our congregation. All the campuses. Your body of Christ. Right here. That you will pour your grace and your love. And your joy and your patience. And this perfect relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That you will strengthen us to pray more. Lord, Lord, we also pray. We pray that you love the world so much you gave your son. And what we have began, begun with the winter blast yesterday, Lord, reaching out. That we will not selfishly hold it. This love, this Jesus of ours who has given us everything. But lovingly, cheerfully share him. With our friends and neighbors, our unloved loved ones. Lord, that we'll reach out to our neighborhood and our community with that love of Jesus. To our region, to our city, to our country, and to the whole wide world. Because your word said, for God so loved the world. That is why he gave his son. Help us, Lord, not selfishly hold it. Bless us, strengthen us, help us to pray more. Pour your Holy Spirit upon your church mightily that we will rise up in the name above all names and share the good, loving perfume of his grace and mercy to all we come in touch with. Now let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.